that song expresses the theme of our Christmas sermon series, Glory to the Newborn King. And this series has been based on the first one and a half chapters of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, this past Sunday, if you were with us, you know that we looked at the first 17 verses of chapter 1 that talked about the ancestry of the king, uh, that Jesus' royal credentials, his messianic genealogy uniquely qualifies him as the long-awaited Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Tonight, uh, we want to look at the second thing that Matthew describes in chapter 1, and that is the arrival of the king. So we move from the ancestry of the king to now the actual arrival of the king in Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. I invite you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. It's on page 757 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to use that resource Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call, and he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In describing Jesus' birth, did you notice that Matthew devotes a lot of attention to Joseph and the role that he played in accomplishing God's plan? Because Joseph adopted Jesus Jesus could legitimately be called the son of David, King David, who was Joseph's royal ancestor. And you've heard about Jesus' connection to David even throughout the scripture readings this evening. When Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he did not intend to marry her initially or to adopt her child as his own. It took a revelation from God himself to convince Joseph to do this. The main point that Matthew seems to be making in verses 18 to 25 is this. Joseph's acceptance of Jesus accomplished God's plan. Joseph's acceptance of Jesus accomplished God's plan. God is sovereign. No question about that. And yet this passage shows us that people are significant. People like Joseph. Individual people like me and like you. Let's see how this principle played out in the account of Jesus' birth and how it applies to our own life this Christmas Eve. First of all, I would invite you to consider the conception of Jesus. In the first part of verse 18, Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Matthew begins verse 18 the same way that he begins verse 1. Because 
The same word for genealogy in verse 1 and birth in verse 18 is the word Genesis in the original text. So Matthew is, is showing a direct link between the background of Jesus, his royal ancestry, and his birth as played out in these verses. He's showing us how the final part of the messianic family tree came to be, how it culminated in the birth of the Christ child. If you look at the second part of verse 18, it says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Engagements in our culture can be easily broken in most cases. But that was not the case in ancient Jewish culture. A Jewish betrothal was as binding as marriage, so much so that it actually required a divorce in order to break the engagement. Even before the marriage was consummated, an engaged couple was legally considered to be husband and wife. Matthew makes it clear here that Joseph and Mary were engaged. They were betrothed to be married but they had not yet come together physically to consummate the marriage. And it was during this period that Mary was found to be with child. That is to say, she was showing. It, it was evident, it was visible to all that she was pregnant. We know from chapter 1 of Luke's gospel, which really complements the account in Matthew, that Gabriel had appeared to Mary, hadn't he? And he had told her that she would give birth to the Son of God. Mary had asked the angel, and you can look this up for yourself in Luke 1. Mary had said to Gabriel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Remember how Gabriel responded? He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the child who is to be born in you will be holy, and he shall be called the Son of God. Gabriel proceeded to tell Mary that her elderly relative Elizabeth had become pregnant in her old age and was already in her sixth month. And then Gabriel punctuates that declaration by saying, Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. And soon after this encounter with Gabriel, Mary hurries off to the hill country of Judea to be with her and spends three months with Elizabeth. By the time Mary returned home, she would have been in her fourth month of pregnancy at least. And that is when she was found to be with child. Now Mary knew this child was from the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth, who was still out in the hill country, also knew this. But Joseph didn't, not initially. Not the people of Nazareth. And we know the story because we've read it many times and we look back on the Christmas account of Jesus' birth. But can you imagine that this was playing out live before your eyes? Can you imagine the shock and the disappointment, the grief this must have brought to Joseph, along with all of their neighbors there in the small village of Nazareth. So let's think about the consternation of Joseph. Mary was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit, but again, Joseph did not know this initially. He naturally assumed that Mary had been unfaithful. Look again at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, that is a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph, no doubt heartbroken over this development, 
decided to divorce Mary instead of disgracing her. He just decided to divorce her privately. Verse 20 says, as he considered these things. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Joseph to mold these things over in his mind? Here he was about to be married. I'm sure that he envisioned his future with Mary and what that would look like. And now everything in his life had taken a turn for the worst, or so it seemed. I wonder if you have ever been in such a state, all excited about the future when something unexpected, something terrible happens that turns your entire world upside down. A crisis hits, and you don't know how to handle it. You look at your options, and none of them seems good. They all look bleak. Your heart's broken. Your dreams are dashed. My friend, you can draw encouragement from this text because Joseph suffered such a crisis in his life. But he came out blessed on the other side because it was all part of God's sovereign and good plan. Let's look at the confirmation by the angel. Verses 20 and 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Wow. That word behold is Matthew's way of saying, don't miss what happens next in this account. An angel appears to Joseph and says, go ahead and marry Mary because the baby in her womb has been miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. This pregnancy came about not because Mary was unfaithful to Joseph, but because God is faithful to his promises. Verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And this is the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14 of his prophecy in the Old Testament. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God had announced this seven centuries before Jesus' birth through his prophet Isaiah. God declared something through Isaiah that was humanly impossible so that when it actually happened, people would know that it had been a work of God. Because it had been predicted and promised beforehand. Seven centuries beforehand. You'll call his name Jesus. He will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Names are significant. When a couple gets ready to have a child, most of them think carefully through the names and they have various reasons for naming their children the way that they do. Names have always been significant throughout human history and it remains so today. The other day I went on my laptop and I, I simply Googled names and meanings and I got almost one billion results. I didn't look up all of them, but one billion results. Names are significant. They matter. And no name in human history is more significant than Jesus, which literally means the Lord will save. And that's why we sing, as we just did, 
veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. We worship King Jesus because he is the fulfillment of God's promise that he would not leave us in our sins, but would send a Savior to rescue us from our sins. This message from God is not just for Isaiah or for Joseph, for Mary. It's for you, for me. It's for all people, as the angel said in Luke 2. So let's look at the compliance of Joseph as we wrap up in verses 24 to 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. These last two verses emphasize Joseph's obedience in response to God's revelation. Uh, Joseph believed this revelation from God, and he demonstrated that by obeying the word of the Lord, by acting on God's word. Joseph married Mary, and he adopted her child as his son. And he called his name Jesus, just as the angel said. And Jesus saved his people from their sins, just as God said. How? By living a perfect life of obedience in our place by dying on the cross for our sins, by rising victoriously from the grave and ascending back to the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for all who believe in him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why Charles Wesley, in celebration of this Savior, the same man who wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which we sang moments ago, wrote another famous hymn saying, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumph of His grace. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease, it's music in the sinner's ears and life and health and peace. Have you embraced Jesus as your Savior King? The Apostle John, who was an eyewitness of Jesus' life and ministry, wrote, He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. As I thought about this truth in relation to the account of Jesus' birth here in Matthew 1, it occurred to me, that just as Joseph adopted Jesus as his child by responding in faith to the word of God, so God adopts us as his children when we put our faith in the Son of God. This is good news. And that's why we sing glory, glory, glory to the newborn King.